involvement I want to talk about from the Grizzlies game is the one where a referee bulldozed a patron and wine was spilled onto the floor. Now, there's another instance of referee non-intervention that I'm sure you want to talk about right here. Round Ball Roundup, episode 14 on utahjazz.com, JP Chunga. And let's get into that because the game on the line for the Utah Jazz. It was a scenario that was very similar to a couple that they've already seen. Donovan Mitchell, you'll hear from him and his thoughts on the officiating in just a moment. 107-106, the Jazz have the ball with an opportunity to win the game, and Solomon Hill, after Donovan Mitchell receives the pass outside of the three-point arc, reaches in and bats the ball away. Now, Donovan Mitchell's perspective says he was fouled. Chris Vernon, if he's doing Grind City Media today, I'm sure he doesn't even bat an eye at what Solomon Hill did. I'm more aligned with what that thinking is because there were so many plays, so many things and factors that go into a game. If the Jazz hit one more free throw, one more three-pointer, they win the game. One three-pointer and they win the game. They shot an abysmal 9 of 34 from distance. One more, and they win the ball game. This play gets all the height, all of the stakes are at it, only because of the, the scenario that it was in. Now, if we want to talk about challenge reform, we should talk about challenge reform because it is a little ridiculous that you need a timeout to challenge a play. Here's the deal. Jazz wouldn't have been able to challenge the play even if they had a timeout because it was a non-call. You can't challenge non-calls. So being unwilling to allow mechanisms in place to make sure that this type of thing doesn't happen, probably something that the NBA will look at. It's to the point where it's pass interference, judgment calls being reviewed in the NFL. Not going well with that league. And review has had early returns that aren't great. A bunch of confusing decisions. In the last two-minute report, it was determined that it was the correct non-call by the officials. For whatever stock that you have in that, just relaying the information. Let's let you hear from Donovan because he reacted emotionally after the game. You know, they obviously defended it well, you know, but he hit my whole arm. It's the third time this has happened in 12 games in the end of the game, and I haven't got a foul call, which is at this point ridiculous. Um... I really got much else to say besides that. You know, like my teammates trust me in these positions and, you know, it happened against Zach. It happened against Milwaukee. Thank God Bojan hit the shot against Milwaukee and then this. Like, it comes a point in time where they're going to release a thing that says, oh, I got fouled. And it's like, it's too late. You know, like, it's, it's the third time in 12 games and it's, it's annoying. Do you feel like the refs kind of swallow their whistles and on plays like that? I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what they were looking at I mean like at the end of the day like it was a foul I put the ball out there and he hit my whole wrist and there's no no call at least call it you challenge it and get it and get it right you know what I mean like it's it's annoying I see how it's frustrating fool me once shame on me fool me twice you can't get fooled again and Donovan at least wants to get an opportunity to put the ball up in the air and did at least give a chance for the Jazz to take the game 
Reform needs to be looked at from the challenge perspective because if you want to get this done, and I don't think even if they challenged it, they would have won the call. Clearly, because of the last two-minute report, they wouldn't have won the call. These type of judgment plays are a part of the human element, and unfortunately, we'll have to deal with these type of referee decisions as it occurs. The real referee move that I want to talk about is the one where he bodied a fan walking back to her seat and it delays the game because wine spilled onto the hardwood. I watched both broadcasts, Bowler and Harpering and Ryan Rucco and Doris Burke. And Rucco and Doris Burke called out the fan for having a drink courtside. In what world are we banning drinks courtside? Yes, she was walking a little close to the field of play and probably should have been more tucked in. But if you're a referee, you got to have more awareness around you. You can't just be running into patrons. And what was the most insulting part of it all was the fact that he did not buy that woman a drink in its stead. He spilled it. The referee spillage was a look into what we're going to see with Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. It might not be the same drink that that woman had in Memphis, but it's a housewife season, so there's going to be spilling of drinks, and it may look like that altercation at the FedEx Forum. All-stars coming here, housewives coming here, it's all happening here in Salt Lake City. As far as the entire game, as the Jazz fall over the weekend, we got a big week coming up, so we'll be getting into that here on Round Ball Roundup. But last time out... Return for Mike Conley, and an emotional one. You could tell he was a little off, at least in the beginning, and he admitted it as much. You have to consider going back to your old home. Certainly strange. How many times when you're an opposing player do you get a standing ovation from the crowd? Just doesn't happen. A tribute video where you're trying to pay attention during a timeout, and you're looking up at the video board. Conley explains his emotions as he came back. Uh, it was tough, you know, it's, it's tough because you couldn't, I mean, I couldn't even look in the crowd without seeing somebody waving or somebody I knew or, um, and every one of those people trigger, trigger a memory, you know, just being in the building. So um, it was just uh, like almost kind of dreamy kind of feeling being out there. So it was, it was just a little surreal. Was there a point when you were able to kind of make a, a switch? Because I know early on, when yeah. they, uh, they did a film thing during the timeout, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to, coach was drawing a play, and I was like just looking up and I was trying to pay attention. I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if he's going to get mad at me or not, but I had to watch it. And um, and it was tough, you know. The teammates were waiting for me to cry, and, you know, just like it was just a weird situation. So, um, but I think, you know, as the second half went on, it got a little bit easier. And it, obviously, as it became a tighter, tighter game, just started locking in and playing again and, and uh, competing. He shoots 5 of 19, 2 of 8 from 3, 3 of 5 from the free throw line. This ought to be a blip on the way that he is playing because he had done and, and turned a little bit of a corner to playing consistently to getting to a point where you're starting to see the old Mike Conley. Again, he did a great interview with Grind City Media and Chris Vernon talking about the emotions of coming back. When the Jazz come back in a couple weeks... That will be a better game for him, I assume, because finally he's gotten this over with. The anxious energy of going out there and playing against the Grizzlies, now it's it's over. It was a passing of the torch, though, in the game, because John Morant was electric. He had that behind-around-the-world 
move past Emmanuel Moutier to the cup and land overall. Morant goes for 25, has the game-winning play down the stretch for the Grizzlies. They have something in that guy, and they have a nice young team. They push the pace, and if you're looking at Taylor Jenkins, who had a great profile in the ringer, he wants that team to play fast. He wants that team to shoot a lot of threes. His mantra is, let that bleep fly, and that's what they did in that game. 10 of 34 from three, but they weren't bashful about shooting shots. Morant's his star, though. He even, when he went head-to-head against Emmanuel Moutier, gave him the you're-too-short treatment because of the way that he was playing. You know, Moutier, to his credit, had seven points on the night. Another time where he's showing how he can be a punch off the bench. Aaron Falk at UtahJazz.com had the story in the Nets game about how the bench provided something. This game, not as much. And where it shows out pretty obviously is in the big man rotation. Where Tony Bradley comes in for Rudy Gobert, there's drop-off. It's understandable. When you go from the defensive player of the year to anyone, there's going to be drop-off. When Rudy didn't play, stat from Andy Larson in the Salt Lake Tribune, Jazz were minus 11 in the 11 minutes. There's a great breakdown video at Utah Jazz on Twitter showing what Rudy Gobert does defensively, and he covers two people. He goes from just being an effective rim protector, taking people away from attacking the rim, to guarding two people in a same play. So he, he can do things that are out of this world. Tony Bradley just isn't there defensively. Well, he can affect a shot, but he's not going to be Rudy Gobert. And if you're looking at anything this week, it's got to be improved play from the bench and an improved play from Tony Bradley as as you see it going forward because he has pivotal minutes that he will be playing in games and you can't really utilize Jeff Green as the small ball five when you're going against Jonas Valanciunas, who is a bona fide big. Ultimately, the Jazz lose this one, and it snaps a four-game winning streak. He didn't feature into the game, but Dante Exum was available for selection. How Quinn Snyder decides to use him in the lineup, that will be fascinating to see, because right now the Jazz are playing a nine-man rotation. When Ed Davis comes back, does that stay at nine? Or does it expand to 10 when you involve Dante Exum? I remember this rant by Jim Beheim back when I was at Syracuse. And Beheim would lambast anybody in the media who would discuss or try to get him to open up his rotation beyond seven players. He looks at box scores at random around college basketball and every team plays a seven-man rotation. Why do they do that? Because of rhythm. Because of finding a point in your game where you're consistently relied upon. Where you know exactly what your role is and you aren't getting those minutes taken away and just yanked right under you so you can't develop and and get into the flow of the game. That's going to be the delicate balance that Quinn Snyder will have to deal with. How big is this bench going to get? Right now it's at 9. Exum makes a 10 And right now, frankly, if we're just going off of it, Emmanuel Moutier is playing at a stellar level. He is shooting 54% effective field goal percentage because he is mid-range Moutier, super efficient when it comes to making those shots. Offensively, he can also give you something because he can just break someone down off the dribble out of the flow of the offense. Moutier is playing great. So where does Dante Exum feature in that? is something that you have to follow along. He's available for selection, though, so he's put in the work, 
and he's getting to the point where he can be on the floor and contributing for this Jazz team. We know what he he offers. That defense, he has promise. And here's Quinn Snyder discussing what he can bring once he gets onto the floor. Dante makes our team better. You know, roles, you know, change throughout the course of the year. They change, frankly, game to game. And, you know, balancing chemistry, continuity, all those things, you know, some of them are impacted some are by things you can control. Some of them aren't, you know. And whether it's a player or a coach, you know, I think the, the main thing with Dante is that he's worked so hard to get back. And there's no question in my mind he's going to help our team. Um, how that evolves the same way how it evolves with Rudy, you know, and, and the way he's been playing lately and changing how people interact on the floor based on something a player's doing. So um, I'm, I'm thrilled that he's back and know that he's going to help us. Ultimately, too much from the Grizzlies in the fourth quarter. 30 points scored in that frame. Just the third time that's happened where the Jazz have given up 30 or more in that last period. Did against the Clippers, did against the Bucks. now against the Grizzlies. Coming up this week for the Jazz, it's a home-and-home. Leg one against the Minnesota Timberwolves at the Viv on Monday night. Then they return to Minneapolis on Wednesday. Ryan Saunders may not have Andrew Wiggins available to him. Wiggins dealing with the death in the family over the last two games wasn't available. The Wolves lost those ensuing games. He's dealing with an illness and is doubtful to play against Utah today. Scored 40 during a five-game stretch and 30 in three of those games. Again, the last two, they lost by a combined 41 points against Houston and against Washington. You know, I caught the Houston game on NBA League Pass, which is Disney Plus for NBA fans, and Harden drops 49, unable to be stopped. Timberwolves relied on Robert Covington, Jake Lehman, to try and match up with James Harden, and that did not go well. Their main defender is Josh Kogi, and he was not able to play dealing with an injury in his own right. Those two games, it can change from what we see on Monday because they might have Wiggins back come Wednesday, and that'll be a completely different game in facing the same opponent back-to-back. What will be fun is the big man matchup. As always, Carl Anthony Towns against Rudy Gobert. Towns has added to his game and continued to progress three-point specialist. How Rudy deals with him, because you know Towns is going to bring Rudy out from under the rim. How the entire Jazz defense does in seeing that happen will be fun to watch come Monday. Friday, Jazz take on the Warriors at the Viv, and then a back-to-back where they take on the Pelicans the next night. Derek Favors returns to Salt Lake City. Draymond Green was playing point guard for the Warriors. Things aren't looking great. D'Angelo Russell also out for that team. Okafor, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, all out for the Pelicans. They're a different unit, too. So all of you covered on all those games come next time on Round Ball Roundup. To help others find the program, make sure to like, subscribe. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. Nice comments, five-star reviews, all I ask of you. I'm JP Chunga. We'll catch you on Friday. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you.